today on It's Time. So God wants me and you to stir up the gift that was in us. What gift do you have? I don't know. I hear the calling. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the book of 2 Timothy. So, turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We finished the book 1 Timothy last week, and so I want to uh, just go right into 2 Timothy. This is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote before he went to be with the Lord. And um, it's kind of interesting what he writes to this young minister named Timothy, probably somewhere around 35 years old at this time. Uh, 1 Timothy... Uh, was uh, written about five, four years before Second Timothy was. And so there's a lot in this particular book that is so important because everything we need for life and godliness is in the Bible. Uh, if you want to know where you get wisdom, you go to God's Word. You don't go to the mall. You don't go to the newspapers. You go to God's Word. That's where you're going to get the truth straight. And that's what's so important. Because it's how we work. It's how we think. It's how we respond to different things in the world. You know, it's really funny because we have a lot of different ideas about way things should be. You probably won't see this any more than exemplified in children. I have two little kids. My little daughter comes up to my little boy, rips a toy out of his hands and says, God wants you to share. So she just grabs it, pulls it right out of his hand. Well, you know, it's weird because a lot of times we have concepts of the way things are. The Bible gives us the truth. Let's pray. Father, as we Go to your word this morning. We ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and cause us to understand more clearly, God, who you are and who we are as we find our faith and trust in you. And so as we spend this time today, may you encourage us, open our horizons of understanding, and may we truly be settled in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, uh, this book written somewhere around 67 AD. And um, many people, uh, as we study this together, you're going to find out how it relates in different ways to our own personal lives. Paul really loved Timothy. Timothy was a young minister, the first letter around 30 years old. He knew his grandmother and his mother. And because of that relationship, he wanted to nurture Timothy in the ways of the Lord. And he left him there in Ephesus to be a good minister. Many people believe that Paul was arrested the second time uh, in Ephesus and he was carried away. And because of what we find here in Second Timothy, it may very well be that Paul, uh, as he was being led away in chains, Timothy was heartbroken and began to cry. Naturally so, because he was a friend of the family. 
And so Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And by the way, friends, we all are what we are by the will of God if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says you're fatherless. You do not have someone that watches over you. It's funny, this morning I was talking with Timothy in our fellowship here, and I was just telling him how God protects us. If God ever tells you no, say thank you. God's got something better for you. A lot of times we'll pray, oh God, I really want this or I really want that. And we just know because I'm a king's kid, you know, we all are, that that God's going to give me what I want. And then daddy says no. And we go, whoa, what is it, God? Don't you love me anymore? No, God is smart. God is wise. God opens and closes the door according to, as we find it here, his will. Remember, God's will be done. That's what's going to two things. One, bring to you a peace and a settlement in your heart. And number two, when we know God's will, it's going to have an eternal reward. What a tragedy it is to live our whole lives, look back over our lives in remorse. Saying, oh, I wish I would have done this different. I wish I would have done that different. Well, as a Christian, you don't have to live that way. Because so much time is lost on meaningless things. Now, we all have done this. You know, sometimes you look at different things you've done, and when you go to clean up your yard and you're looking at it, and it's old and tattered, and you throw it in the garbage can, you think, I remember when I spent a whole week working on that. Well, I think we all have done that. And I I think this is why God's Word is so good for us, because it causes us to align our purpose and our will with God's. Why is that important? Because nothing from this world goes into the next one except people. People are important to God. People should be important to us. Now, I know sometimes people are a pain in the neck. Why is that? Well, because just as we are, maybe to somebody else, we don't see things the way they do. Well, Paul is telling us, as he writes this, we are what we are by the will of God. If you're a Christian here this morning, You've given your life to Christ. You are part of his kingdom. You're now saying truly in your heart, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we are what we are by the will of God. And that's a good thing. According to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. According to the promise of life. Now, this is why this is important. Paul, at this time, knows he's probably going to be executed. This is pretty serious. We remember Nero came and rounded him up, threw him in prison. And the Bible tells us that, that the Roman prisons were not like they were today with metal bars and, you know, people taking their cups and dragging up, up and down the, the bars because they want something to drink. Actually, prisons in those days were basically a dungeon. There was a hole in the top where they would drop the food down And they were a dark, cold, nasty, stinky place. They didn't have the little bathrooms where they all have like our prison systems are today. You basically found the corner least used, and that's where you went. Well, it was a very terrible place. And it tells us here, Paul talks about the promise of life. Because Paul... I believe knew his days were short. I don't think probably Paul, when he wrote this letter, knew if he had a week or a year or five years. And from what we gather, it wasn't long after this letter was written, 
Paul went to be with the Lord. And so he says, to Timothy, my beloved son. And again, you'll find in, in the, the true Christian world. Now, there's a lot of phony Christians out there. You know, I call them, uh, you know, Costco with a cross kind of thing. It's a social club. You know, everybody scratches everybody's back. And, you know, well, hey, you know, you help me with my business. I'll help you with yours. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that in the church. We should. We should bless one another as we can. But unfortunately, so often, many churches are social clubs. Paul addresses this a little farther in the letter where he talks about your faith and that your faith was genuine. And one of the things we have to realize is that in faith, in the family of God, we do have brothers and sisters in the Lord that oftentimes will be closer than our own relatives. Why is that? Because there's a camaraderie, there's that part of what God does in our lives for the common goal, the common purpose. Now, see, the thing is, in social clubs, that is not the goal. The goal is to feel good about yourselves and have a big gang. Well, really, when you're sharing the gospel, it's not a popular thing, as we're going to read on here in this chapter. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the source of, as it says here, Grace, mercy, and peace. What's that? That sounds like a lot of Christianese. Well, grace, first of all, again, and I really love this, is God giving to us what we don't deserve. Every one of you, if you have children, you give to your children at Christmas time grace. It isn't that they've been good all year and you reward them for their goodness. It's because you love them that you give them presents, not because they've been good. And probably not even Christmas morning. They get up, they're already fighting before the sun even comes up. But you're good to your kids because you love them. God is good to us because he loves you. The second thing is, is mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You get a speeding ticket, you go before the judge, you don't look at the judge and say, give me what's coming to me, dude in the robe. You look and you say, mercy. And, 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 and in order to convince him that we are deserving of mercy, we have an excuse for the crime we've committed. Aren't we good at it? Well, I was late. I, I uh, uh, think many times of the excuses that I have used. I was speeding. Well, it is true. My speedometer was off because I put oversized tires on the car. So the speedometer would read slower speed, but a cop didn't buy it. Um, we've all done that. And I think that the thing is, we want mercy. We don't want what we deserve. But here's the thing. And by the way, he says, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God. Uh, he's writing this to a minister. And I think if there's anybody that needs, I think it was Spurgeon that said, that ministers of all people need more mercy than anybody. Why is that? Because we're all, uh, we're all bozos on this bus. We all fail, and yet um, God has given us the responsibility to teach his word. And probably on a Sunday morning, there's no one that gets any more convicted than me as I read his word. You never can ever uh, look at God's word without it having an effect on all of us together. Well, he says, mercy... Peace, and by the way, that's the only way you'll ever know peace is because real true peace comes from God. He's the source of peace. That means that even though you may have things in your life that are chaotic, you'll, there's still a peace that comes from God because he is the minister of peace. From, again, always remember, that's the source of it, 
the Father and Jesus our Lord. Well, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience. And by the way, not like the Pharisees did. The Pharisees would say one thing, but do something else. A pure conscience isn't something I think is something that should be avoided by any of us to kind of take an inventory and say, Lord, am I really Am I really saying what I am? Am I really doing that? And you know, if you find you're not, we repent. Isn't that great? We say, okay, Lord, I want to be genuine. I want to be the real deal. I want to be really truthful. And so this is what we want to do. And so he says, I thank God that I serve with a pure heart, pure conscience, as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul was a real guy on prayer. And by the way, when you're in prison, there's no windows, there's nothing else. Prayer becomes a very, very important part of your life. Because not only does prayer transcend prison walls, it transcends the miles. And so this is one of the things that he would think about Timothy. And he would think about his heart and his relationships that he had with people. And he'd pray for them. By the way, moms and dads, don't ever cease, don't ever cease to pray for your loved ones, for your children especially. God hears those prayers. And I believe there's many of us sitting in this room today, listening by radio and and internet all over the world. We're here today because moms and dads prayed for us. I really believe that prayer is a really important part in our relationship with God because what it does is it causes God to move on that individual. Why does God not give up on some people that should have been given up on? Have you ever wondered about that? I believe it's prayer. Well, that person's too far gone. They'll never receive God. You keep praying for them, and pretty soon you hear they got saved. Why is that? Well, when you pray, I believe the Holy Spirit does some pretty amazing things through prayer. And he says he prayed night and day. And probably where Paul was at in the dungeon with no windows, didn't know if it was day or night. This was probably a very true statement. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Now, I think this is, again, where probably when Paul was arrested and he was carried away, probably Timothy was crying, and uh, naturally so, that I may be filled with joy. You know, again, I think that there's nothing wrong with empathy. Sympathy is, 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 is something that we do. We feel bad for somebody. Sympathy is, oh, I feel bad for you, and we pat them on the back. Empathy is where we say, I feel what you feel. Maybe I don't know what it's like to have uh, a sister or a brother die, but I know what it feels like to have your mom or your dad die. And I know the emptiness and the hold that it leaves and the echoing memories that go from year to year. I know all about that. I felt that. I understand that. People don't really want sympathy. But empathy is something really good. That's where you put your arm around somebody and say, I know how it feels. Because then you realize that someone cares. And you know, when you know someone cares, it changes the way we look at life. You know why people kill themselves? You know why people commit suicide? They don't believe anybody cares. If I jumped off the bridge, no one would even, it wouldn't matter to anybody. That's why a lot of people feel that way. And of all the people in the world should never ever have that thought would be people who are born again by the Spirit of God, the Christians. But the thing is, oftentimes it does happen. Why? Because we feel sometimes that no one cares. Isn't it weird how you can be in a large room and you can feel so lonely even though you're in a crowd of people? 
And it, because it isn't the, the, the people, the size of the crowd around you, it's whether anyone is intimate with your heart, with your thoughts, with the way you respond to things. That's why I always tell people, be sure to say hi to somebody when you go out of church. Be sure to shake their hand or say, hey, we're going to go get a snacky cracky with raisin pits down at the local, down at the local uh, uh, restaurant. You want to go and get one with us? Okay. You know, I mean, seriously, there's a lot of fellowship that happens by just including people into your life. You say, well, they might be weird. Yeah, that's true. But you also might find a forever friend, and that's a good thing as well. So I always try to try to do that because, again, the Bible says in Proverbs, to have friends, one must show himself to be friendly. So always do that. He says, when I call into remembrance your genuine faith that is in you. Now, I think this is interesting. Oh, by the way, greatly desiring to see you, uh, uh, being mindful of your tears that I might be filled with joy when I call into remembrance your genuine faith that is in you, which was dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Timothy had a rich heritage. He had a Christian uh, family, he had Christian parents. Uh, that's a rich heritage that you, mom and dad, can pass on to your children, or you can pass on to your family members. I think it's so important. Therefore, and I, whenever I find the word therefore, I always try to find out why it's therefore. Yes, I know it's corny, but it's one of the things that causes to remember it. It's kind of in conclusion of, or think about what you just read when you read this. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, I think this is interesting here. He says to stir up the gift that was in you. Now, you know, there's a lot of things. Somebody asked me a question one time. Well, in any issue that we have, how much does God do and how much do I do? That's a great question. Because sometimes in the Bible, you'll see God did everything. Other times you'll find where God said, you do it. Case in point. God told Noah to build an ark. Worked over a hundred years on it. Build it out of gopher wood. I don't know what gopher wood is, but gopher wood, whatever it was, he built it, took a hundred years. Which, by the way, something really weird here just to tell you. I think the rate of decay was different before the flood than after the flood. Because if anybody here has ever made anything out of wood over a period of 100 years, you would know one end of the boat would have completely rotted away before the other end of the boat was done. So it tells me there was probably something a lot different in the atmosphere. Maybe the nitrogen, oxygen content was different. This is why I think the carbon-14 dating is so messed up when it comes to oftentimes the way they date things based upon the, uh, the carbon deterioration and the itromestic material and all these things. I don't want to get into that. But the point is, is that if you try anything, you'll know that if you leave a shovel outside with a wooden handle, a year later, it's in pretty bad shape. So, anyway, how much do you do and how much does God do? God told Noah to build an ark. It took him 100 years. We find other places, as an example, Elijah was running for his life. The birds would come and deliver his food to him. Beat that, Papa John's. The birds would come and deliver his food where he was at. 
Every day, here comes the birds. I don't know whether they had a little bag or whatever it is, delivered his food. Until one day, the birds didn't deliver his food anymore, and he said to himself, I think I need to get up and go somewhere else. Exactly. Sometimes God does it all. Sometimes God expects us to do it. And when I come across verbs in the Bible, and those are action words, if you remember, not person, place, and thing like a noun, but a verb like go, see, do, those are verbs. Notice it says here, to stir up the gift of God which is in you. That's my responsibility. I can set and let my Christianity inside of me literally rot because I refuse to do anything about it. So God wants me and you to stir up the gift that was in us. What gift do you have? I don't know. But you know, one of the things you do is you say, Lord, whatever gift I have, I want you to make that even better. Add to it. In fact, the word in the Greek means to literally, it's like fire, now add fire to the fire. That's literally the word. To stir up the gift of God, which is in you. How do I do that? Well, you hype yourself up. No. You pray. You say, God, hey, open my eyes to the needs around me. Do you know that most of the gifts of God that we have are because we see the need that we can minister to? Isn't that something? In other words, if you have a gift that you see in your life and you see somebody that is hurting. That person over there I can see he's got kind of a frowny face. Ah, well, it's terrible to be you. No, that's not the way we do. The gift that we stir up is to go over and interject ourselves. Now, you know, sometimes we're rejected because of that. Now, notice verse 7. And and these two verses go very closely together here. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And some of your Bibles say boldness. Why is that? Because in stirring up the gift within us, sometimes there is the possibility of rejection. In other words, God has saved us He's put a concern in our hearts for people that don't know him, that are lost, that are going to die and go to hell forever. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't like to hear about that, but it's real. Jesus spoke 11 times about it in the New Testament. So it's a real place. God doesn't want anybody to go there. But here's the point. You see somebody, no matter what it is, I, and I, I remember this very distinctly because I was in a store one time. And I began to just talk to this guy, and this guy started telling me all these different things going on in his life. And, and, and that steering was there because I, I, I really could sense there, there was a need in his life, but I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I just said, well, hey. And, and then I just stopped, and here's where the boldness comes in that we re- read about here in verse 7. I said, somebody I didn't even know, not in church, I said, can I pray for you? And I thought they'd go, ah, and run out the door. And instead he goes, please, would you? And I thought, wow, that is really weird. You you really want me to pray for you? So I just prayed that God would bless him and open his eyes and protect him from the the devil and all the things he wanted to do to him. And it changed his heart. He wasn't the same before I talked to him than after I talked to him because the Spirit of God 
went through me into him. The same is for anybody here. And there's always that reluctance sometimes to say, well, can I pray for you? Or, or I don't know, I just really feel it. I need to call this person on the phone and I haven't talked to him for a long time. And you call him and they'll say, oh, I'm so glad you called. And you go, really? You know, I mean, but that's the way God does. That's the boldness that God does in us. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.